Hello, everyone, and welcome to MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that finishes fast like a burn deck in heat. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. As James said, I'm Travis Allen, Wizard Bumpin', B-U-M-P-I-N, on Twitter. Uh, the show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, mtgprice.com, to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best minds in the hobby. Everybody, today we've got four segments as per usual. We're going to cover off at the top, the top movers of the week. We're going to go our buy, our buy list watch as segment two. We're going to do a week in the metagame review for segment three. And our hot topic of the week will be Innistrad Echoes. Great. All right, let's hop right in. Segment one, top movers of the week. At the bottom of the list, we have Kaleidos, Trader of Get, from the recent set Oath of the Gatewatch. Started this week at $9, finishing around 14 or 15 for about a 55-ish percent gain. Uh, we saw Kaleidos on camera this past weekend at the Star City event. Uh, it functions very well as a Anafenza substitute against Rally the Ancestor decks. And it also does double duty in several other matchups between the lifelink and the occasional token production. Uh, I like this card. I think it's powerful. I don't know if I like it at $14, but I would not be surprised to see this be a pretty standard component of of the metagame going forward. And I think we might even see it show up in modern on occasion. I know Brian Kibler was talking about playing it in Jund. Interesting. I mean, this is a card that was actually on my sell list from the very beginning. Um, and based on the results it's seeing in Standard, it's still on my sell list. I think after this most recent spec uh, or spike, which was um, almost certainly driven by speculation based on camera time as opposed to actual player demand, um, I would be definitely trying to get out at 14. Um, this is just not a card that's being played as a four of anywhere. Um, where it is played, it's played as a one or a two of primarily, as you said, um, the value lies in its ability to uh, trump the rally decks. But it's not a guaranteed win against rally the way that Stony Silence can be in modern against affinity. And if the metagame shifts, and there's you know no reason to believe it won't, as it has been all season, um, you know, this is a card that could be left in the dust. So I think I'm very comfortable unloading my copies in the 13 to $15 range and calling it a day. I don't think that's that's wrong at all. I'm happy to sell at 15 right now. I think that if we see the slip back down to the 3 or $4 range, um, if Rally decks disappear, for instance, and Kaleidos drops with them, it might be interesting at that point because the, the card has a lot of... of s- a lot of notes on him that kind of say a lot of dials were tweaked to find a certain power balance. The uneven power toughness really stands out to me. Um, so he's very expensive right now. I'm happy to sell him, but uh, in the future, if he drops, he might be an interesting spec target. So our next card of the week is uh, Past in Flames out of Innistrad. Uh, it was $8 more or less about a week ago. Now it's up to about 12 for a 50% gain. This is a card that often sees play in Blue-Red Storm and Modern and in the Ant deck in Legacy. Um, more to the point, I think it's, it's, uh, the standard five-year period has, has been surpassed um, since Innistrad came out. And it's that time where uh, niche rares from an older set have a chance to spike on, on low supply. I can't figure this one out. I can't tell if this is because of the modern Pro Tour and there is some expectation for Storm to appear, whether it's based in because a team is actually showing up with Storm or they expect a team to, or if we're seeing Past and Flames moving because of the Shadows over Innistrad announcement. The connection there being tenuous at best, uh, or maybe there's a third reason that Past and Flames has moved recently. I'm not exactly positive. Um, well, su- supply was relatively low and, and is very low now on TCG player. Um, so I have to imagine that, you know, part of this is speculative. Maybe there are teams moving in on it ahead of the Pro Tour that have been testing it, um, you know, at a high level of satisfaction. 
Um, but I suspect it's more about, you know, just a, a card that didn't have a lot of uh, supply to begin with. It's not the kind of card that if you're a casual collector, you would know to pull out of your binders. And there's probably a ton of these in people's trade binders and under beds and so forth that are, you know, lost inventory. Um, it's just not the kind of card that people have thought to put four of, uh, you know, within arm's reach. So we'll see how it plays out um, this weekend at the Pro Tour and, and uh, whether we actually see any play on this card that justifies the price. Right. Yeah. I mean, this could be another one of those cases where you just had a card that was sitting at low supply for months or even years. And then one day, a few more people decided to pick up copies than they have in past weeks. And it kind of just pushed it over the edge. We see those show up on our top movers list uh, every now and then. So it's hard to say sometimes where the demand exactly comes from. Uh, All right. So what's next, James? So the next card is a card that's very much earning its keep in multiple formats. Um, talking about Collected Company, the rare out of Dragons of Tarkir, um, moving from somewhere in around $8, $8 to 14 or 15 for about a 65% gain. Um, Collected Company decks are doing extremely well in both standard and modern. Um, uh, a card that was totally under the radar. Lots of people underestimated this card last spring when it first came out. They said... Um, you know, why not just cast two creatures and instead of paying for, especially in modern, people didn't think that the casting cost was going to be attractive. But, um, you know, synergies with fantastic creatures in the two and three casting cost range have proven again and again that this is a card that should be on everybody's radar as a long-term hold. Um, Even after this spike, I find myself wondering if this is a future $40 card in a couple of years and whether we shouldn't still be moving in. That's... Funny you say that because I was going to say in a few years, we're going to see this card at $40. And it's also one of the cards that I recommend is buying this week. (laughs) Uh, This card is just, is just so powerful. Uh, It's the mana savings aren't even really that spectacular. You know, at best you're getting six mana for four mana, which is, I mean, it's, it's fine. It's nothing spectacular, but being able to do it at instant speed, uh, at a good casting cost in both standard and modern, uh, it just it just seems to have really really gotten right where those types of decks needed that ability. You know, if we'd seen this at seven mana and it put four creatures into play, I don't know if this that was really playable. So this would be, seems to be right at the sweet spot uh, that they needed. But this card is powerful. We have not seen the end of it, and the only reason that this is not going to be thirty or forty dollars in you know months or years is because they're going to end up reprinting it because it's just going to be so popular i mean there's a potential it could come out in some ancillary product like a clash pack or a dual deck or something um but the window is definitely closing on that um with dragons being almost a year old and plenty of other sets um contributing to those products um so i mean this is this is something that this is a foil i was picking up at for a few dollars less than the the regular edition is going for and now the foils are 45 to 50 dollars with you know probably another 10 or 15 dollars in upside this year um you know it's been a great spec for me and and I feel like, you know, the time is not yet right to sell. Um, this is a card that is likely to uh, put some decks into at least top 32 this weekend at the Pro Tour and uh, could see additional gains on that basis. I completely agree that now is not the time to sell. This is, I, oh God, I liked this card so much when it was spoiled, but I couldn't bring myself to buy it. I have real trouble specking on green cards because my bias, I feel like my bias tends to get in the way. So I look at the card and think, this is amazing. And I go, well, I just love green cards. I probably should not buy this. It's not actually as good as I think it was. The last time I said that to myself was Corsair Crawfix at $4. So uh, maybe next time I should just listen to myself. <laughs> Funny thing is I, I missed this one completely when it came out. It wasn't even on my on my long shots picks for Dragons of Tark here um, when it was you know 3 or $4. Um, but about two weeks later, when it first showed up on a deck on camera, um, and I watched how it played out in a game and allowed creature decks to play an instant speed game at the end of the opponent's turn. Um, that was when the, the switch was flipped for me and I moved in pretty hard on the foils. I, you know, it's funny. I, I sit here and tell you that I really liked it when it came out and I didn't buy it. I can't say for sure. I'm not looking at my original review for Dragons of Tarkir. So maybe I did pass it over. I don't remember. I maybe perhaps I've retconned the memory of this card and think maybe I thought it. I think that I thought it was better. I don't know. All right, let's move on. <laughs> All right, so Ancest- uh, Ancestral Vision is our next card uh, at a time spiral. Uh, started the week at about $8, moved up to about 14 for about a 75% gain. 
I mean, this is a card that is often a four of in Shardless Bug and Legacy. Um, there's been some speculation that it might be unbanned one day in Modern, um, although I find that hard to believe given its power level. There's um, a very good reason for that. By oh, the yeah? way, what's is that? that uh, Aaron Forsyth said, now that Twin is banned, we can look at unbanning ancestral uh, vision. Like mm-hmm. he said, those words essentially. I don't remember the. I don't remember the the medium in which he he said it but he specifically referred to this card as a possible unban, which if you listen to, to Wizards, they very rarely point to cards specifically. So this is, I believe, all predicated on the belief that this is going to get unbanned eventually because Splinter Twin got banned. Right, and the only other place this has seen any print was in the dual deck anthology set that was sold out at like double retail at most LGSs and was never available at mass market. Um, so there really aren't that many copies running around, um, easily a card that could spike even further. Um, if it was actually unbanned, it's probably a 30 or $40 card overnight. Um, so, um, not a card I would, not a card I would recommend moving in on until we get, you know, closer to another banned and restricted announcement and, and have some kind of sense of what's going to happen. Um, but if you're holding a set for your legacy deck, I wouldn't be in a rush to get rid of them either. Me, me neither. And this is a card that uh, when I was talking on the uh, Cartel Aristocrats podcast about a week or two ago, I specifically said that it had shown up on MTG stocks. And I was like, okay, well, you know, if you can find these at 10, I really like them because they've been 10 forever. And uh, this is definitely going to gain in value. If it's not unbanned, it's still going to go up because people are going to excited that it will be. And if it is unbanned, it's going to hit sixty dollars. So at fifty now, I think they're you know fifteen to twenty bucks. I think today I checked earlier and they were twenty dollars now actually. So I, I can't advocate buying at that price. But if this ever sneaks back down towards ten bucks, uh, I'm absolutely in, one hundred percent happy to have these. Fair enough. So the next card on our list is Worship, a white enchantment for three and a white that basically prevents you from losing the game if you've got uh, a creature. Uh, that creature uh, uh, keeps you alive even if you're at uh, less than one life. Um, it was printed in 7th, 8th, ninth, and Urza Saga and has been a bulk rare forever. And uh, here we see it rising from $2 to almost $5 for 125% gain um, over the course of the last week. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is sort of a modern tech against burn type decks. Uh, you know, it's been on the radar of our silly little play group for a while as, as a funny card to board. And I think one of our friends was main decking it in his collected company style little dudes deck because there are a lot of decks that simply cannot beat this card game one. Uh, it's, it's an interesting effect. It says that you can't lose the game on it, which has contributed to this keeping a price tag above a dollar or pocket change with casual crowds because it, it locks people out from from losing and you know casual magic tends to be uh very short on answers to permanence i don't think it's as good as people want it to be for instance it gets talked about as an answer to burn decks uh but they all are boarding in destructive revelry very frequently anyways uh which is which this is a target for uh, so it, it's, it's curious, uh, but I don't think that even though this is a large percent gain, I'm not sure that it's a real meaningful material gain. You know, I could see this maybe hitting six or $7, but without serious sideboard play, I, I doubt it really gets too much higher. Uh, and I would have to see re- sustained gameplay in modern to believe that this is actually a relevant card. And at the same time, there are still an- plentiful answers to it if people need to. Yeah, all, all of that is, is fair points. I mean, this is the kind of card, if it's going to hold in the 4 to $5 range and you've got a bunch sitting around, um, you know, in your old school trade binders, um, I would, it's the kind of card I would look to push out on Puka Trade once their pricing catches up. Um, because, you know, as Travis said, it hasn't really earned its keep in modern yet. Um, it's only an so-so oh, casual card. And uh, I'd be happy to get out of these around five. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out this is terrible in EDH too. Because there's always non-creature permanent destruction floating around and preventing yourself from losing matters a lot less in a format where the game goes that long. Yeah. So, all right. Next up, Thunder Spirit from Legends. Uh, This is started the week at 40, uh, clocking in about $90 right now for about 125% gain, 50 bucks a copy. Uh, This is definitely part of that 93-94 old school magic scene. It's extremely low supply. It's a reserve list card. And the stats on this card are really interesting. 
And if you are a limited enthusiast and you wonder why you have never seen a creature with this particular combination of stats, the reason is Thunder Spirit. It's one white, white, total three mana for a 2-2 flying first strike creature, which sounds like a very uh, printable white uncommon for a limited format. Uh, but this is why you've never seen that card show up, because it is actually a reserveless card that used to be rare. Um, you know, I think we're going to see a price contraction here uh, by some margin, but it's still going to it's going to be like every other old school magic jump. It's not going to stay at the, the triple digit value, but it's not going to return to its start value either. Yeah, I mean, it's f- fairly amazing to have such a benign white creature um, even approaching a price tag like this. But it just goes to show that, you know, the number of cards printed in these you know original four or five sets of magic is so low that despite having no demand for nigh on 20 years um all it takes is the hint of of a new format that cares about these cards for them to start getting bought out and it seems to be kind of like clockwork now if somebody detects that the the inventory levels are low uh, on one of these old school relevant rares or uncommons there's just a pattern of of buyouts i i, I don't believe that this card was drawn down in its final, um, you know, buying sprint by real player demand. I, I believe that there are people watching until players kind of draw down the demand on these cards to a certain level. And then when it looks cost effective to, to jump in, that's what's going on. You know, I don't really follow old school magic at all. Do you do you know if this is actually a card that people play in that format? Um, I would imagine that this is a reasonable creature to throw down on the table. Um given that there there aren't a lot of kind of mid-range flyers and hypnotic specter is a big deal so being able to block you know the most dangerous dark ritualed uh creature of all time um <laughs> with a 2-2 flyer with first strike seems like it, it's probably playable um, yeah and i guess it fits in with sarah angel too right like that's a i know that that's a card in that format it's probably something like swords their first hypnotic uh off the ritual throw down a thunder spirit and block you know all future hypnotic spirit specters yeah i I don't know um so you know in partnership with this we also have caverns of despair from legends rising almost 300 percent this week from about ten dollars to forty dollars this is a red enchantment for two and two red that basically means you can only attack or block with two creatures at a time um i I can't imagine that this is getting played but again it's you know it's a a rare from legends and there's hardly any of them around um i did manage to find some on ebay um in the kind of like low mid 30s so you know maybe we'll see a bit of a contraction um but i'll tell you this folks if you're holding a bunch of old legends cards just keep them right where they are because give it give it another couple years and and those cards are probably going to appreciate in a in a very meaningful way that will let you trade into some other deck you need well, you know, the, the clock was ticking on this to begin with, too. Chaz Andres, who is the financial writer with Star City, um, did an article, I don't know, some number of weeks, months ago, where he talked about a lot of legends and old school magic cards that were undervalued. And Caverns of Despair was one of the cards he mentioned. And I mean, the reasoning doesn't even have to be anything beyond this is in Legends. It's a weird card. It's really cheap, like a few dollars, 10 bucks. This could definitely go. And then once it's in people's minds, um, once people are thinking about it, it doesn't take much for them to to grab a few copies here and there. And this is not to, this is not to say, by the way, that I'm blaming Chaz whatsoever because we all do it. It's just once a card like this gets written about, once it's sort of in the public awareness, uh, I think it's generally only a matter of time because someone's going to read it and get the wild hair to buy it, and that's going to be it. Yep, fair enough. So our last card on the top movers list this week is Peregrine Drake from Urza's Saga. Um, yet another of these uh, blue cards from the Urza's block that allows you to untap lands when it comes into play. Um, we've seen movement on a couple of these lately. Uh, this one was only an uncommon, and it was reprinted only in the Plane Chase 2012 product, I believe. Um, the original version started the week at about $1.50, went to $3.50, up 2 bucks or 133%. Um, you know, you might have, if you've been playing long enough, you might have a bunch of these sitting around in a in a bulk box somewhere. You might want to pull out and try to push through Puka Trade or dump some playsets somewhere um, on an EDH board or something uh, so that people can siphon them off one at a time. But not a big deal either way. This is not a, not a card you need to be thinking about much. Yeah, I mean, the percentage gain is a lot, but the material gain is minimal. And I don't see this becoming particularly relevant other than the fact that it's worth digging out of collections more so than it was but not a lot to talk about here 
Do you want to move on to what's lost the most this week, James? Sure. So we see first at the top of the list, we have Mind Slicer falling another 33%, uh, further post-spike contraction after hitting almost $10 on a buyout. Um, As you can see, um, not a lot of sustained player demand for this card, so no surprise it's sliding down. Um, What can you tell me about how Mirrorpool is doing so far, Travis? Well, looks like we're slipping. We've lost about two bucks uh, from six fifty to four fifty, about a, a third loss in value. Uh, you know, we haven't seen this show up anywhere yet. This definitely started the pre-order high because it was a splashy, exciting-looking land. Uh, I'm sure that there were a lot of casual and EDH players pre-ordering this because they really wanted the copy. And like most casual rares or mythics, they come down pretty hard uh, because once you get that initial supply out there, once you get those diehard casual and EDH players who, who want their copy, um, you see it, you see the demand drawback very, very heavily. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see this card under a dollar, honestly, within months. You know, there's just, there's a lot going on in Oath of the Gatewatch. And while this could be an excellent long-term uh, pickup, uh, I think we're going to, we got we have a lot, this is, this card is going to show up on this list again before we ever talk about it as a, uh, as a gainer. I mean, it is a mythic, so it can probably hold, you know, three to four dollars would be my guess. Um, and there's certainly potential here for this card to be a big deal at some point. Um, but it's the kind of card that I think I'm going to be looking at early midsummer to see how far it's dropped and figure out if I want to move in on it as a long term spec. It's, it's tough to say because Oath gave us so many utility lands. Um, and Mirror Pool is obviously very strong, but meanwhile, you have a, a reverse library of Alexandria that got printed. I mean, how, decks can only support so many colorless lands, and is Mirror Pool really the one they want when there's so many other options available? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not going to make that call, but I do think that the number of options we have in that realm is higher than normal. Fair enough. So, I mean, the other Oath Mythic uh, on our bigger biggest drops list this week is Kozilek's Return, um, which has just simply not showed up as the dominant four of force in standard that it was expected to be. Um you know, just just too many creatures like Reflector Mage in this format that are running three toughness that make the initial casting somewhat ineffective. It's been mostly relegated to sideboard status uh, so far. And Green Red Eldrazi, the deck that you know wants to run four of them, is just not is not dominating um, at this at this juncture. So um, I, I think this is a mythic that has you know room to fall further. Um, and if you can trade this out anywhere between you know ten and fifteen dollars, I think it's probably a solid choice. Um, Quite a, most of the mythics that have been hyped from Oath um, are not performing at a four of level, and and in the meantime we've got you know cards like Gideon, ally of Zendikar from Battle for Zendikar in the Fall, um, showing up as twelve ofs in the standard standard top eight decks at Star City Games opens two weeks in a row. No spike on that card. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on on where we can sell Kozilek and also or Kozilek's return. I also agree that this card can probably shed some more value right now. This, this, the power level on this card is undeniable. You know, we talked about how collected company isn't even that much of a, a gain in mana value, but the ability to play as an instant speed is very powerful. So I see this as being similar uh, in that regards. Uh, I mean, it's an instant speed pyroclasm that costs one more. Keep in mind that we haven't seen pyroclasm since what M10 or 10th edition or something like that, which the power level on that card is too high. So adding one more mana and instant speed with a lot of additional upside is very interesting to me. I think that right now this card may be a victim of the metagame. We have a lot of creatures in the format. It's a very full format right now. A lot of uh, stuff that survives through this at first. I could definitely see this being a major contender once Shadows of Innistrad drops and we see uh, a rotation away from cons. So a lot of powerful creatures leave the format most of the eldrazi cards stick around that whole deck uh survives and innistrad had a lot of human tokens and zombie tokens and small creatures that cause lux return is going to be very good against so uh this could be an excellent pickup in about two months if we see it get down into the five dollar range yeah i'd be surprised if it went that low but i could see it hitting eight to ten um one of the counter arguments to our, our little soliloquy there was that it did show up as a, despite not showing up in the top eight of the standard open in the modern classic, it showed up as a three of in the sixth place green, red Tron deck. So, you know, is this maybe a modern card? 
um, you know, time will tell uh, if it starts being run as a standard issue uh, mythic uh, in a popular deck like that, and the deck uh, keeps doing well, then, you know, maybe this, this has some serious upside after all. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. You know, when I saw it, I first thought about modern and, and everyone thought about Tron line and that was kind of what people went to. I wonder if three mana for two damage is too slow. Uh, I mean, I guess it still hits a lot of targets in burn and it's obnoxious for inf- against infect players, but it does not help against merfolk quick enough in the way that a card like Pyroclasm would. So yeah, I, I'm curious to see if this can make it in modern as well. Um, I'm really hoping it hits five bucks because I would love to pick up a set. All right, so we're on to our second segment of the day, cards to watch. These are the cards that we're considering adding to our portfolios uh, this week. Um, my first card for the week is uh, a short-term spec. Um, Ink Moth Nexus out of Mirrodin Besieged is sitting somewhere in the high 30s to up to about $40 right now. My target on this card is $50 for a 25% gain in the next month or so on the assumption that either Infect or Affinity both modern decks that run it as a four of may be well positioned in the new metagame and will likely put somebody into the top eight this weekend at Pro Tour Oath of the Gatewatch. Uh, yeah, I, I would be surprised if Infect does not show up and Ink Moth is a, a solid, consistent four of card in that deck. I mean, it's never, it's never not four of, right? I mean, I've got a few of these copies already on hand. Um, I don't think I'm going to be buying any more heading into the weekend. But if you can trade into a copy, you're likely to see some upside. And if you're holding copies, I think you keep holding because I think we're going to definitely see more upside before we see downside. Yeah, totally agree. All right. My first pick is uh, a very short term, uh, possibly even too late by the time you hear this podcast. Uh, It's Collected Company. We talked about that earlier. It's from Dragons to here. Right now, I'm seeing copies of about 15 bucks. You might be able to score them for a few bucks cheaper. Uh, and I think we can see this at $25 pretty easily, which would represent a $10 profit, which is enough uh, enough relative to the buy-in that it's actually worth considering with cash. We've seen this card really active lately. Uh, when we look at the metagame and review, you're going to see a lot of copies of this card floating around. It's definitely able to be played modern. We have a modern Pro Tour that's about to push this card even harder. Uh, it, it's it's just one of the strongest screen cards we've seen printed in a while. Uh, and people may realize that this is the future of standard for the next several months. There, it isn't a clash pack. Right now, the cheapest copy I found with a quick look was 35 bucks. The clash pack also comes with a windswept heath and some other odds and ends. So the clash pack could stay at 30. You know, we could see this collective company hit 25 bucks. And with clash packs at 35, you get the... Collected Company at 25, the Windswept Heath at 10, and then the other stuff is sort of a, a throw-in. So there's even with the current uh, Clash Pack prices, there's still room for this to hit 25. And there's nothing to say that the Clash Pack prices can't move. I, I don't think they're in print anymore. Uh, I could be wrong there. There was a Magic Origins Clash Pack. I'm not exactly sure on that, though. Sure. I mean, one of the things I love about this card is that it's almost always a four of. I mean, the way that you have to build the deck to make this card uh, you know, function... Uh, requires you to be running four copies of it. It's never run as a one or a two of. And because of that, and because of the fact that it works with you know any value creature in the two to three casting cost range that could ever be printed from here till the next time this thing sees a reprint, um, means that you know it's it's got a lot of open-ended uh, uh, value potential moving forward. Um, now, one of the things I would say that we you know. Uh, gives me a little bit of pause is that to have a $25 rare and standard that's still in print would be a, a heck of an event. Um, is, but is it still in print? I mean, is Dragons well, I mean, of Dark Hair still in print? Dra- Dragons of Dark Hair boxes are, are readily available at, you know, below MSRP. So, you know, there is that. But my thinking on this is if you get in now, even if though you're late to the party, um, you're highly unlikely to go down before you go up. And, you know, even if you end up sitting on these for a couple of years, you'll be able to trade it out at any time. It's a very liquid card. And, you know, if it ends up in, at, at the 30 to $40 range in the next year to year and a half, which would be more my, like my target for it, um, you know, you're not going to be upset with that return. I, I just want to throw one more thing in here, too, is if you were watching Star City last week, you know, the week, uh, the week in past, you saw a lot of Reflector Mage and... The commentators were saying, like, you know, we went into this weekend unsure of what to think about this card, and within three rounds, we already feel like Reflector Mage is overperforming. And that's the type of of card that can really push other 
cards up because Reflector Mage is an uncommon. You're not going to see much of a price movement. But if Reflector Mage is incredibly powerful and decks want to run four, and there's a lot of decks that want to run it, well, that means they're probably going to want to play Collected Company. It's going to push Collected Company up. So that type of synergy with low-value cards can really push cards like this up more. Uh, you know, we could be in for for months of Collected Company Reflector Mage decks. Fair enough. So my next pick is a mid to long term pick. So anywhere from six to six to twenty four months out, um, I'm looking at Pia and Kieran Nalar, um, specifically the intro pack foils um, from Origins. Uh, currently sitting at about ten or eleven dollars. My target on this this card um, in the mid to long term is twenty dollars plus for you know an eighty percent plus gain. It's a constant one or two of in multiple modern decks, putting its standard play uh, constant standard play aside. And un, un, unusual for an intro pack foil, it has broken the curse um, of being an intro pack rare. And most specifically, the art on the intro pack foil here is far and away better than the pack foil um it's a gorgeous piece of car- cartoon like kind of like marvel style art um whereas the other one looks like you know some kind of kmart photo session um pose from the 1970s yeah i mean we've talked about pian kieran nalar on this uh cast before we both like the card and it's sort of quietly gained in strength and it's the type of card that is going to see a lot of play in modern especially so uh should support foil values pretty well especially if the non-foils are are cheap but it it shows up so i like it it's a good choice what's your next Uh, what's your next pick travis yeah my next pick is spreading seas and this is a short-term pick again uh short term as in like probably this weekend uh from zendikar the only printing is zendikar I want to give a shout out to Doug Johnson, Douglas Johnson. You can find him with me over on Cartel Aristocrats video cast uh, most weeks. And he's on Twitter at uh, Rosa Thorns. He brought this to my attention. I think it's a great idea. And I, I wanted to share it with you guys. You can find copies of Spready Seas at under a dollar right now. There's a fair bit of copies out there at the moment. Uh, but when you consider that you very rarely play this as less than a four of, uh, there aren't that many play sets left especially for a card this cheap that can sell very easily. You know, we're not going to see this breaking double digits, uh, but, you know, this could go, you, you, if you can pick this up at 80 cents or so, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see this card at 3 or $4, which is which is a pretty solid pretty solid game. You, you know, selling, if you, if, I don't know if I like buying 100 copies at 80 cents a piece and then trying to sell them on TCG Player at 3 or $4. It's not going to be the best use of your time. Uh, but buy list in these might go very well, or you know, picking up a few play sets to use as trade fodder could make very good use of your money. So I think spreading seeds, we can see this move pretty vigorously. And if you want a comparison, just go check out Ancient Stirrings and see what happens from commons from that era when they have uh, a pretty good play pattern. And so the idea here is that this is a four of in modern merfolk? Uh, at least. It's, I mean, it's good in modern, it's, it's obviously very good in modern merfolk, but you see it in a lot of other off the wall brews. So I know it showed up in some of the old cascade builds that just cascaded into a spreading seas every turn. It showed up in the uh, modern enchantment deck that was blue white, I think, and it, it used enchantments to lock out mana and propaganda effects to stop them from attacking. So it has a lot of incidental value aside from also being useful in Merfolk. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'm seeing, you know, there's a fair amount of copies on both Star City Games and TCG Player, but you're right. This is the kind of common that gets played as a four of we've seen high you know high uh power level commons like this move into the three to five dollar range before so it's not crazy that this could be a mover um you know sooner or later yeah and thomas dodd who owns a store said that he has trouble keeping them in stock and they sell very quickly too so you know people who, who are running stores are telling me that they there aren't that many out there and they can't keep them in stock that's that's a clue to me that there's real demand so, so my next card is uh, a much bigger long shot than Spreading Seas. Um, I've got my eye um, in the very long term on Stonehaven Outfitter foils, currently sitting at about $2. Um, this is a, the rare white, uh, one in a white 2-2 out of uh, Oath of the Gatewatch that gives all creatures that are equipped plus one plus one and gives you lets you draw a card whenever a creature that's equipped dies. Um, we're currently in a situation where we don't have a lot of good equipment in either standard or modern. Um, 
it would not surprise me if one of the next two or three blocks including a, included a strong equipment theme. It just feels like it's time for that to come around the corner. And, you know, there's a bunch of other white cards, a lot of them core-related, uh, K-O-R, as in the, the race from Zendikar, um, that benefit um, or contribute to an equipment uh, white weenie theme. And whether it ends up being a modern deck or a ca- just a popular casual deck or an EDH thing, um, I could easily see these foils getting to $5 from $2 over a couple of years for 150% gain. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting card. There's a lot of interesting things. Uh, totally see this showing up in a lot of casual and EDH style decks, especially with the uh, recent availability of Stoneforge Mystic again. I could definitely see this showing up on the radar in the future. Well, heck, if that ever gets unbanned in modern, um, I, I would love to be holding a pile of these. <laughs> well, I was supposed to refer to casual circles, but yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Last pick of this week is another short-term pick for me. I was thinking not too far in the future this week, I guess. Uh, Shrine of the Forsaken in Battle for Zendikar. I've had my eye on this card for weeks. It has started to slowly move up. Uh, It's hard to find copies under a dollar right now. If you can find them, I definitely like them. This is, I think, on pace for at least $3. Again, the Eldrazi are really looking good in standard right now. I think that we are nowhere near the correct list yet. There's a lot of people working on figuring that out. We haven't had the pros working at it yet because they've all been preparing for the modern pro tour. Uh, but I would not be surprised to see this. Uh, Eldrazi major part of the standard environment in the coming months. And again, it survives the rotation and trying to forsaken is never anything less than a four of, I'm not expecting humongous value here, but we could easily see, um, copies hit between three and maybe what five bucks a piece which you know if you're getting it under a dollar is is a great uh, a, a great a great price to buy in at uh, especially when you consider that this will be very liquid if it really does get that high yeah i mean shine of the forsaken gods has not made a splash anywhere really other than standard but there are many different builds of the eldrazi deck that are running it um and uh, i could see it as a card that people are going to want long term in their you know edh ramp decks and so forth so um, not a card that there's much danger to be holding in the $1 range, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that's all of our picks for this week. And now we're going to move over to what James and I are looking to get rid of. So why don't you go ahead and start? Um, just quickly, a, a reminder, as I mentioned earlier, I think Kalidus, Trader of Get, is a sell this week. Uh, in the Anywhere in the 13 to $15 range, if you can get that much trade value, Um I think that's definitely a sell. I'm just not seeing the play pattern in in standard that would justify uh, that kind of price tag on a mythic. It's you know only five dollars below Gideon, and Gideon is seeing you know three to four times more play in multiple different decks. Um, moving forward, uh, Shadows over Innistrad may give us a bunch of vampires and zombies that give us more of a reason to care about uh, the tribal affinities for Kalidus. Um, but for now, I'd be happy to be moving out and moving back in later once I see the evidence. Uh, yeah, again, as much as I like Kalidus for the future, I'm totally happy to get rid of this for 15 bucks right now. Uh, my card to sell is Pass in Flames. Again, we talked about it on our spike this week. It's currently sitting around 12-ish dollars. Uh, cards like this that are key components in combo decks sort of have this, uh, this mark on their head, especially Storm cards, where it's difficult for a, a major Storm component to get that much more expensive because if the deck is performing so well that the cards are that much more expensive, Wizards is going to start banning pieces. We know that they don't like Storm. They banned parts out of this deck, I think, on two, at least two separate occasions, maybe three. So, you know, get well to get into good on Storm cards, because if it hits $20, it's going to be real short-lived. Yeah, I, I would be comfortable getting out at this price point, trading into something that's got upside. Yeah, I don't want to have to worry about it, spend that mental spend that mental capital on it like whatever just sell it and be done with it all right so let's just do a quick overview in our third segment here of the uh, metagame weekend review um there was uh only one um uh tournament of note in constructed uh this weekend uh, gp vancouver being a limited format um the scg open in columbus ohio um had a fairly uh unsurprising set of decks in the top eight we had uh Four Color Rally in first, Bant Company in second, Abzan Blue in third, Tom Ross was running Red Black Dragons and finished fourth, Matthew Tickle, uh, Four Color Rally in fifth, 
black white control actually very similar to the deck i've been running in standard for more than a month um and then jeskai black at seventh with andrew tenjum running it and mardu tokens in eighth um and the thing that stood out to me in this crowd travis is that almost none of the mythics from oath showed up as four ofs yeah that's a good point i you know i didn't look at the list that closely i'm looking at the notes you made on our uh, our show notes here and i mean i'm not seeing any written down i mean the the biggest card that has uh is is showing up in multiple decks as a four of from oath is reflector mage which is leads me to believe it's going to be a consistent three or four dollar uncommon um you know the stoke the flames if you were uh, of the this season um the card's super powerful. The ability to just get rid of a threat and keep it off the board for a full turn cycle while you're setting up other shenanigans um, has proven to be, you know, very good indeed. And in in um, in uh, partnership with Collected Company, the ability for it to be one of the two creatures that come down, um, you know, leads to incredible value chains um, that have been, you know, won games all weekend. And we saw, you know, that four Reflector Mage, four Collected Company package in both the first and second place decks, despite them being incredibly different decks. I mean, Rally and Bant Company are, are not the same kind of kind of uh, uh, deck uh, superstructure at all. And yet, here we see them running eight of the exact same cards um, across three colors in, in, in the finals. Yeah. I mean, this is exactly why uh, I pointed out collected company earlier. And it's what I noticed when I looked through these lists real quick is that's a lot of collected company floating around. It's just, it's a powerful strategy right now. deals with a lot of threats. I like it. Um, I thought it was interesting that Tom Ross's Red Black Dragons build had four Hanger Backwalker, four Thunderbreak Regent, and four Coligan Storm Storm's Fury. Um, Storm's Fury especially seems to me like a underrated rare that is probably underplayed in the format. Does a ton of damage, goes right over top of people. If you have any amount of token production, um, tokens that, you know in the end step from Secure the Waste into a Coligan are is usually game over. Um, and I like the fact, I think it's interesting that, to note that Hangerback Walker and Thunderbreak Regent cards from, you know, that were especially popular three to six months ago um, are still showing up as as powerful options in this version of the format. Yeah, Colagon Storm's Fury seems like one of those cards that suffered from being really only playable in one deck and the deck wasn't only occasionally good. Mardu Guy can't win every tournament. Uh, but, I mean, the power level on the card is is, is pretty definite. Thunderbreak Regent, honestly, I'm surprised is as cheap as it is. This card is is insane, but you know that kind of speaks to the mana bases that we're seeing right now. You know, just everyone can play every color. So yeah, it, a lot a lot of interesting things and a lot of Gideons too. You know, like you were talking about earlier, we've got twelve Gideons floating around in the top eight. That's that's a lot of it's a lot of ally action, uh, and this is another card. And again, I mean, those Gideons are in three completely different decks. Um, mm-hmm. In third place, Abzan Blue was running four of them. And sixth place, black white control was running four of them, and the Mardu tokens deck was running four. So, I mean, <laughs> if there's any mythic that that deserves to be at a higher price point than it is right now, it's got to be Gideon. Twelve copies in the top eight is is Elspeth levels of play. Yeah, I wonder if this is uh, if we're seeing the expedition effect here. You know, it's kind of hard to tell, uh, but you know, I, I talked about how a lot of these battle presented carvers and mythics might be suppressed because of. The expedition is just soaking up so much of a box EV, and perhaps we're really seeing that come to nest here in Gideon's price tag. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you subtract expeditions from the equation, I, I find it hard to believe this isn't a $40 card right now. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, over on the modern side, uh, I referred to this this week as the most boring modern top eight we've had uh, since Golgari Grave Troll was unbanned. I generally did not find it interesting. It was just, in fact, Burn Tron, Burn Tron, John, whatever. Who cares? Affinity. This is all the same shit we've seen before. Um, I do like that there's a Scapeshift deck in the top eight. Uh, it's a little different than we're used to seeing. There's some Primeval Titan floating around, which is not the standard Scapeshift build. But we're still seeing Scapeshift uh, show up. And I know that this has been referred to as the next best for man deck now that Splinter Twin is banned. I'm curious, you know, we, we talked about Scapeshift not that long ago, had a major price spike up to uh, close to $50 at one point. And this, I, I, I'm not, I don't know if this means that Scapeshift is going to become a major part of modern now, if it's, if, uh, but it, this definitely leads me to believe that the, the archetype might have some legs in this new format. 
So one of the cards that jumps out at me here is the presence of Eidolon of the Great Ravel as kind of a, a, a permanent fixture in the burn decks, which have morphed from being you know spell-based to a mixture of creature and spell-based. And we're seeing you know Eidolon show up as an auto four of it. There was eight copies total in the top eight. Um, this is you know a rare from a small set, uh, a set that doesn't have a lot of other value to spread around. Um, still sitting at just ten dollars. Uh, I was in at five, but I think I'm comfortable acquiring some additional copies at this this price point because this has to be a future twenty to twenty five dollar card. Yeah, if it doesn't get reprinted, which everyone agrees is is going to be difficult to do, I totally agree. Eidolon has been on everyone's radar who's who pays attention for a long time now. The card's just unreal and burn. Not only is it good in modern burn, it's good in legacy too. Exactly. So I mean. It, not an exciting top eight in terms of you know introducing new decks to the format, um, but certainly some interesting cards showing up in modern at the at the modern classic in Columbus. And you know, I guess the big question on everybody's lips heading into the weekend here is whether this is an indicator of what we're going to see at Pro Tour Oath of the Gatewatch. Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to watch a top eight that's Tron Burn and Affinity. I mean, personally, I'm a huge brewmaster um, at heart, so I would love to see something, you know, Eldrazi sexy show up um, this weekend, um, at least in top 16. Um, you know, I've been working on a really wacky blue-green build based on conversations I was having on Twitter with Saffron Olive um, from the MTG Goldfish crew. Um, he had exposed uh, the combo of Descendant's Path from Innistrad with uh, Conduit of Ruin, where you can basically set up Emrakul um, on the top of your library and cast it for free, um, take your extra turn, turn your Eldrazi Mimic into a 15-15 on the cast, uh, swing for 15, and if they're still alive, take your extra turn and finish them off. I love that combo. I, I actually wrote about it briefly in my article today, uh, and not just because I have like 100 Descendants Paths tucked away. Uh, I just that really That really speaks to me. You and I are on the same page in terms of what we enjoy out of magic deck so i'm really hoping we get a handful or even more than a handful of some really creative interesting decks show up in the top 64 um, because even if they're not great it's really going to open up the playscape of the format for a while as people test with them and try and figure out if they're actually good and really i mean one top 64 for a lot of these decks is enough to get people on that deck for months at a time you know it doesn't actually have to be good good it just has to look good briefly um so let's hope this modern pro tour has a lot more going on than this star city did well, I mean, I find it hard to believe that the combination of Eye of Ugin and Eldrazi Temple being able to cast, you know, Thought Not Seer on turn two um, isn't going can't to make sense. I still can't do that. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? I, did you say? Did you say Eye or did you say Urborg? I, I, Eye of Ugin and, and Eldrazi oh, Temple. I, I had a drink during the recording here, so I may have, that may be on me. <laughs> yeah, so... so I mean, it it is doable, and um, you know that seems like a powerful play. Um, it has yet to be proven whether it will, you know, black white Eldrazi or something else will show up in you know top eight, top sixteen this weekend. But I wish them all the best. I'm certainly rooting for them. And uh, on that note, let's move on to our topic of the week. Um, this week, we're talking about the potentiality of Innistrad Echoes. Um, there is a rumor floating around the internet this week that uh, the follow-up to Expeditions in the Zendikar block will be something called Echoes, um, which will be um, the manifest as the reprinting of key cards from the original Innistrad block um, in with new art in foil, uh, Expedition style, you know, lottery tickets um, packed two per case or so. Um, what do you think about that, Travis? Is that is that a reasonable thing? Could that happen? You know, when expeditions were first announced, uh, well before the site hit the shelves, I looked at it and said, this, to me, seems like a sustainable model. Expeditions are a way to... It, they do a few things. They suck, val- they suck money out of the pockets of enfranchised players who love to hang around and play Magic, who typically don't buy a lot of new product. This is a way to get them to spend more money on new cards. And it also subsidizes the cost of standard rares and mythics, like like we saw with Gideon Ally as Endicar, makes it a lot easier for newer and more casual players to get in. Uh, so they see the idea of expeditions of these of these lottery tickets of these what Yu-Gi-Oh mythic rares. It seems very good for a lot of people involved. And I wondered if they this was not something we were going to see going forward. I didn't know if we were going to jump right in on Shadows of Innistrad, but 
uh, it seemed like a model worth exploring. And I'm when I saw the the rumor of this Innistrad Echoes pop up on Twitter this week, uh, you know, I don't know if it's verified or not, but it seems extremely believable to me only because it's something that I had been considering in the past. So the idea that we already saw Geist of St. Traff recently does not turn me off to this. The idea that Snapcaster Mage is an RPTQ promo does not turn me off to this. The idea that Liliana is uh, an RPTQ promo does not turn me off to this because those are all special, unique printings, and these are still going to show up in a unique border, which is enough uh, to get people interested who want these types of cards. So is it going to come true? I don't know. I don't want to say what Wizards will and won't do anymore, but the idea of it, very plausible to me. Yeah, I think I have to agree with that. Um, certainly, if we're picking cards that are going to be included, um, maybe Liliana of the Veil, vale, maybe Snapcaster Mage, Geist of St. Traff, despite you know the reprintings of all of those cards, um, maybe Olivia Voldaren. You know, that's, a, mm-hmm. that's a card that is uh, near and dear to people's hearts who were playing you know, standard and you know rocked Jund uh, in modern uh, and made use of her at various points in time. Um, Avacyn, I guess. Um, probably, you know, and if we're talking about full border, um, I mean, full art, uh, foil with new, new art, um, I can see a lot of players wanting to acquire, uh, these cards, um, temporal mastery would look pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it certainly makes sense. I was thinking, you know, expecting that from expeditions, we would go to something like, uh, foil, full art planeswalkers as a set, and maybe we'll see that down the road. But, uh, you know, Echoes makes sense to me. Um, I think it's probably good to continue on with this as, as much as I think it's funny um, uh, from the perspective of criticizing uh, Wizards for issuing lottery tickets. It does, as you said, have uh, a dampening effect on the prices of Standard. And that's something that people have said they want and, and they're giving it to us. They're basically making it you know, now optional whether you want to roll the dice on Expedition style cards. And Echoes is, is again, a continuation of that game plan. Yeah, so if you find yourself or anyone you know really annoyed that uh, expeditions cost a lot of money and you can't buy them and they're unavailable and magic cards shouldn't cost that much money, just keep in mind that Gideon costs 20 bucks and is showing up more in standard than any Planeswalker in recent memory. And that if he wasn't the same set of expeditions, he'd probably be $40. So maybe uh, maybe there's some trade-off to these expeditions here, that the silver lining that can be difficult to see sometimes. All right. Uh, glad to have been here. Uh, so, James, where can people find you? Um, you guys can find me on Twitter at, at MTGCritic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. Uh, yeah, and again, I'm Travis Allen. I'm also on Twitter. I'm uh, WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. And uh, my articles go up every Wednesday on MTG Price. My article this week is Unlocked, so I encourage you to go take a look. Um, that brings us to the end of our episode again today. And uh, I was glad glad you made the time for me tonight, James. Uh, you too, Travis. Uh, thanks again uh, for being here with me. And we'll see all of you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.